0: Rolling.
1: Welcome to a special edition of the RNegade Podcast, in partnership with Rescue RN. We give you Kickstart My Heart, a revolutionary approach to resuscitation, and Code Blue to take nurses who don't just do what they're told from novice to ninja. In episode four, our special guest is Mackenzie Young, neuro and med-surg travel nurse
2: were so super smart, but it's like, all of a sudden, don't know what to do. Nailed it.
3: Renegades.
1: This is the fourth installment of the Kickstart My Heart Summit in partnership between Renegade and Rescue RN. That would be Karen Boyd.
2: Entre DeMarco,
1: DeMarco. (laughs) (laughs) have it your way. And Susan Davis, actually, Entre Boy, Karen DeMarco, and Susan Davis of Rescue RN. And today we have Mackenzie Young, the Young, the Vibrant, the wish we could go back (laughs) (laughs) and start over. Actually, I have to say, that that is a bit why she was so attractive to us to have on this podcast, in addition to her nursing experience and then seeing something profound for herself. And then kind of that I'm going to let Mackenzie talk more about this, but you can also learn a lot of, about Mackenzie at, on the RNA podcast um, as we have a whole episode with her, but I would say she was attractive to having on this, not only because of her youth and vitality, but also because her profound shift of what she saw in her life and that she kind of, um, is where she is, well, how do I say this? We, I can say speak for myself, I didn't get to to where I was, where, how do I say this? I didn't get to where Mackenzie is now until I was 37. You know, like it took, it took me, it took me much longer, so that's why it's also exciting to see um, where she'll be, you know, at at the ripe old age of me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) Starting from where she's coming. So I'm going to hand it over to Susan Davis. She's going to refresh our memory about what the heck we're all doing here and um, be the master of ceremonies. Take it away, Susan.
3: So hello, everybody. Well, with an introduction like that, Karen, now we're all going to have to know, Mackenzie, where are you? I mean, I gotta know. <laughs> and I mean, this it sounded very profound. And so I'm like really excited Happy, have, have you. <laughs> Oh, nice, nice. Okay. A, a, little, a little tidbit just to keep you coming back. All right. I'm in, I, I'm biting. So guys, my name is Susan Davis. I am the rescue RN in this crowd here today. And the motivation and collaboration behind this gig is cardiac arrest. Kickstart your heart's the name of the game. Novice to ninja. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? What does that mean the nurse is all over everywhere. So we're here to talk about code blue. How does it make you feel? How did it make you feel when you started? How does it make you feel in your case, Mackenzie, when you're on the road going hospital to hospital, how well prepared do you think your nursing education was for this particular crazy event? Uh, how do you feel now that you've been a nurse and you've been traveling, how do you feel that you're other than your Q two year Mandatories, right? Of your AHA or Red Cross or whichever you choose, is that sufficient to um, say, you know what? I'm a rock star. I've got this. I know if I have a cardiac arrest, I own it. Or, or like most of us, does it basically scare the crap out of you because you're not able to practice as much as you'd like? You don't have as much hands-on skills with your people, with your equipment, in the units that you work in. And ultimately, does that leave you feeling uncomfortable and/or in any way, shape, or form, less than? in anything you might do as a nurse. So we're here to talk about mindset, code prep mindset, code prep. Wait, what is a code prep mindset? Code prep is a company that I have created that in my opinion, fills this gap, the gap between what we do in a classroom, the land far, far away from where the duty hits the fan and uh, what we actually need and what we actually are seeing at the bedside. Are we confident lifesavers, regardless of where you are in a healthcare system, whether you're in the ICU, the ER, the OB, Um, med surge oncology who cares doesn't matter where you are I always say cardiac arrest doesn't give a crap where you are and it doesn't give a crap about your job description it just gives a crap that you recognize the problem call for help begin compressions and confidently use your equipment as soon as possible so that's kind of the format of this discussion we're going to dig right in Mackenzie you'd say hello and you can skip the profound deliciousness that I too (laughs) have to (laughs) track back to your previous podcast thank you very much but tell us about you like kind of how you
2: got started and uh, how you wound up yeah. here with us today yeah hi everyone um I'm Mackenzie I'm I've been a travel nurse for like a little over five years my background before I started traveling was I was in a step-down ICU it was it was basically neuro but we did get a kind of overflow so I kind of saw everything I would say back then I think I felt more confident in in like, really sick patients. And then as I, it was very stressful for me. So when I started traveling, I did do just telemetry. So the patients weren't really as acute, um, but I've I've been doing that. So I've been nursing for like eight years now. Um, and just like looking back and thinking about codes, like it's crazy. Cause I can really only count. I've probably only had like four or five in my career that were my patients. Um, and yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say, especially with traveling, I'm going, i worked at probably, I think like 12 different hospitals and like, it depends, but we really just, they show us the crash cart and that's about it. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it honestly still terrifies me if that would happen. Cause I, it's more for me, it's like, you just don't want to look stupid in front of everyone. <laughs> it's always my thing, you know, even though, you know, I don't know them, I don't know their certain machines. So it, it wouldn't be like, I don't know how to do a code. I don't think it's that. I think it's more just like, getting familiar with the equipment for me and I think a lot of nurses could probably say the same thing you know like I think I think when something bad happens to your patient I think you have that like 10 seconds where you're like oh my god what do I do and then you're like okay I got this but like because I mean I've had some I've, I've had some patients that have gone downhill and all that and then like it is scary but it kind of everything kind of kicks in in the moment but like When you don't know like how to use the machinery, you're all kind of fumbling around, hoping the next person is going to know what to do. Like I've just been there so many times and uh, I don't know. I think, I think we're so ingrained with like the ACLS. Like, I don't think they focus just on like, you know, good quality CPR and like making sure everyone is, it's just usually chaotic is what I've noticed. Like just from working at so many different hospitals now you see really great codes and you see just either there's really no in between, I guess, is what I've observed. So.
3: Yeah. And, you know, actually four or five codes in your eight, some years of, of practice is actually kind of a lot. I mean, there's nurses who've been nurses for 20 years. have never really? been really. So it's can you imagine their fear? And, 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 the, yeah. not, and and fear is a big word, but at the same time, it's like, it's that feeling stupid thing. So let's just say you have been a nurse for 10, 12, 15, 20 years. You haven't been in a code or it's been years since you were in a code. Are you going to be like, Oh yeah. Oh no, I have no idea what I'm doing. No, they don't. No, they keep that yeah. inside. They keep yeah. that inside. It grows like a tumor, a fear tumor. And so, you know, he, who hesitates is like dead. Right. So they back out of the way into what you just said, because they know and pray, hurry up. Someone who knows what they're doing or does this far more than me. Better get in there. But ultimately, what we're asking for those first two to six minutes is all basic life support. It is truly, is this a yeah. problem? Did, yep, that one's dead. All right. So call for help. How do you do it? Shout. You know, begin good compressions, jam up compressions, get that equipment in there, mash the pads on and, and push the button. I train to use the analyze function because no harm, no foul. It doesn't matter what your background is. The machine knows it's a shockable rhythm. You don't have to. Now we're running this crowd uh, code like, like rock stars.
1: Karen I just wanted to flag did everybody catch that when you said four or five or six is a lot some nurses go their whole careers without one and she went oh. I mean and you you're mostly ICU and you travel right Mackenzie
2: no I haven't been I okay I did yeah I have never done ICU um traveling I've been on yeah I've just traveling or just been doing telemetry and okay. then recently I've just been getting med surge jobs so it's even like it just really depends. I mean, you don't see a lot of codes on that. I I mean, yeah,
1: I just wanted to flag the in breath because how many (laughs) nurses who work ICU or even telemetry, you see them more than, you know, like med surge when they go to a code on a floor to help out. And there's that, you know, horizontal cantankerousness or whatever, you know, like the, what do you call lateral workplace violence or the, you know, that, that snarky, I'm better than you kind of mentality. Well, I think if more nurses knew what Mackenzie just found out, these nurses have never been in a code. They only practice yeah. once every two years. I think even knowing that from the, the nursing floors in the middle of the bun, we, we call like you have the ICU and the ER and the, the meat is in the middle. And That's all the, yeah. the areas in the hospital that don't get to practice a lot. Um, but all the nurses in the middle, you know, maybe – They just don't know that they they don't even think like that, you know. So anyway, I just wanted to flag that because that's another thing that we didn't I didn't even think about what we're doing is we're telling nurses with a lot of experience. Hey, dude, you know, these people might never have seen a code in their entire lives. Yeah. Yeah. Entra.
0: Kenzie, I have a a question for you. Tell me. Tell me, you told us kind of your perspective on, on how, you you know, you feel a little nervous. You don't want to walk in there and feel dumb. You're not, you know, you've seen a few, you know, in your, you know, estimation, some of them are really great. Some of them not so good. What do you think the view is of your colleagues on the med surge floor, on the neuro floor? What do you think the general feeling on the floor is when a code happens? Because it's probably not typical and yeah. it's interesting to hear your perspective on your your surrounding peeps?
2: Good question. Yeah, I think it's overall kind of panic. And I can remember when I first started, um, just because I, and it was funny thinking back, because I did some charge nursing before I left for traveling. And like, I don't know, you just assume like, okay, we're gonna like, you just call for help. And you hope like, someone who's someone's gonna come in and who's gonna be able to like, Get them attached and everything. We, we're I I would always hope like the charge nurse. She's gonna come in. She's gonna kill this. Like we're gonna we're gonna be okay. You know. Like I'm always. I think we're all kind of looking at each other because it's funny. I've been in codes too, where like, and it was it was at night. I was when I was working night shift, and I looked over and I'll never forget this because we were all like, you could tell it was just like in a panic, but it was an older nurse and. I mean, she'd probably been a nurse for decades, but like her, she was like shaking. You could tell she was so nervous and like looking at me for, and I'm like, I've been a nurse like two years, you know, but like, and then, and then too, and I think, I think something messed up with like the way I was pushing the epi and then we were like having a debrief and it was just funny. Cause she was just like, you know, like, it's okay. Like the patient was already, you know, like, e- even if you make mistakes through it, it was fine. You know, the, the patient, you know wasn't is the patient not going to get any more dead is what we would always say like just to make ourselves feel better because like it just never just being able to look at her and be like okay well she's been a nurse decades and she still gets nervous it was kind of reassuring but it's still just I think overall at least how I feel inside and you can just tell it's just overall panic like scrambling like all of a sudden we don't know what the hell we're doing (laughs) and we're like it's just, it's funny to, it's kind of funny to like, cause we'll chuckle afterwards. It's just like, well, that was, that was bad, you know, but like all these nurses as individuals are amazing care. You know what I mean? We're amazing caretakers. We're so super smart, but it's like, we get into this, like, you know, we, we all of a sudden don't know what to do. It's, yeah. It's, it's Susan. I know. It's kind
1: of funny. Hey, I don't know. <laughs> Back over to Susan, but also flag when she's like, well, she's 30 years, she's been a nurse for 30 years. And She's still nervous. Well, well, that's a relief. Actually, that should be maddening. That should be maddening that that nurse has been there or a nurse for 30 years and she's still scared. That is a failure of the system.
3: Yeah. Yeah. but Big, big, big <laughs> failure. And, and I can't, I, I I see it almost every single day. And in, so Mackenzie, you hit on something really, really big there and it's It's the fact that you are jam up rock star healthcare professionals, you are licensed, you handle medications, you handle uh, so many things that can change the uh, physiological parameters of a human in a matter of a second. And all of a sudden we're asking for compressions and electricity we're like, oh yeah, we're out. Like (laughs) we we are out, we don't do this because our brain instantly goes to ACLS, which I might say in, in the majority areas where you were, I mean, when you were in the step down, everyone would be ACLS, but in the middle, in the hamburger, Usually no. it's all basic life support except for maybe the charge. And so I find this very interesting. This was an interesting concept that I'll just note. If you think about this, think about the intelligence behind this. So on every single unit in the middle of the hospital, primarily, and it's it's, it's different everywhere, but that piece of equipment we put there for them to use must be run by an ACLS person. Yet everyone there is basic life support. Mm-hmm. What's this what's the what's the science behind that? And then then we go so far as to say, okay, now charge nurse. You're the only one who's going to handle the crash cart. And your duties are to check it every single morning. So only the charge nurse is even going to check it. Nobody else even checks it. Literally, you go on that unit. And you're like, whoo, literally, Hail Mary. Lord, please not me today. That red beast in the corner, please stay there. Right, but but let's even talk about checking it. Checking it means you drop it down to 30 joules, plug it in, do a little test. It says it's okay. They uncheck it and they, they make sure that all the papers are there and there's oxygen in the tank checked. So how is that, (laughs) how is that going to help us at all? I mean, yes. Okay. The battery's good. Sweet. We have enough charting paper, which no one's ever used since the history of mankind. Anyway, paper Mm -hmm. towels are the only way. So (laughs) all I'm saying is some weird concepts. They're in the middle of the hospital, right? And now some, some, like I was in a hospital the other day and they have regular manual defibrillators on every floor, except on one floor med surge, they have an AED, an AED defibrillator. So then You know, when the critical care team arrives, they have to turn it off of manual, uh, off of AED and put it on manual. That's an old, you don't have to do that with the newer defibrillators. But anyway, I digress. The point being is, unless you handle it, regardless of what it is, you can't be good at it. True or no? So, Mackenzie, the question to you is, in your experience, um, and you weren't, you were, you've been a nurse for eight, so you've been traveling for about five, so you were at some location for about three and regardless of whether you were stationary or traveling, did you have any code practice?
2: No. And it, yeah. And when, cause I've just started working med surge a little bit too. Like I just recently renewed my ACLS. I had, cause you don't, you don't need it for every hospital and forever. I mean, med surge, you really, yeah, you don't need it. Um, but wait, so, wait, what was the, say it one more
3: time. And what was practice? Pra- any practice oh, codes, practice. mock codes. No. So
1: that you didn't know go out and get yourself like through an ACLS class or a BCLS class, like in the yeah, hospital. Yeah, so
2: I would do that on my own, but no, like when we would do hospital orientation, uh, I think I did one mock code my first two years that I was like, I was I was at that one hospital for like two and a half years. But then a lot of times I mean, I, I get maybe one day in the hospital and then I'm on the floor for two days. So any travelers are not gonna know how a code works until you're in until you're in that situation. So no, I I can say I haven't done a mock code in yeah, like 5 years. Besides, when I r- I ran my own mock code in ACLS, which is just as scary as <laughs> being in a real one. It was so funny. I was talking to the lady because I was in a class by myself and even then, you know, you have to like reassure yourself like, okay, this is not going to be how it is in real life, but like and she and it's funny cuz as a instructor, she was telling me stories about doctors coming in and how they're even were like, you know, would come in and they and said they've been studying for hours for this. You know, it's like, I think it terrifies everyone. I think no one wants to admit it, but I think it's, no one ever really feels prepared. And I think that's just, and, and it shows, in a, you know, like, it's just not a priority on most, on really any of the hospitals I've worked at. And maybe they do it for the staff. Like, it's very different for travelers. We just don't get that education that we need there because we're kind of just filling, you know, an immediate need for, you know, to help out with ratios and everything. So, but I mean, at this hospital I'm at now, it's all travelers. Like they just don't have the population here on the Island to like staff. So I would be so curious to see what it would be like here, you know?
0: So I have a question about that because isn't that the point? Like, why are we nurses? we go, we become nurses to care for patients and ultimately we're there on a med surge floor in an OR when they crash to save a life. Like, isn't that the point? Don't you think it's just
2: crazy
0: yeah. that we've completely put that on a shelf and just crossed our fingers and said, you know, hope that's not mine this time around. I, I Like I'm yeah. speechless. And for the travelers, I mean, you, you know, what was the, the nurse who got just got hammered? I can't ever pronounce her name, but, you know, that hospital did not stick up for her and mm-hmm. did not, you know, not, nothing, did not support her. In fact, they were like silent in the whole thing, right? Like, so like that was a medication error. Can you imagine a cardiac arrest? That's insanity. It blows me away. Truly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You know, I, I took a, I took a one short travel assignment. It was here locally, but I'll never forget. And I was, I was working uh, as a trauma nurse at the time and I was picking up an assignment closer to my house as a travel assignment. So I'll never forget the first day orientation I'm on the floor now and I go past the crash cart and it was the charge nurse showing me around. She said, Oh, and there's, here's the crash cart. And I was like, okay, Oh, I haven't used this defibrillator. Can you give me a quick one, two on it? And she said, Oh yeah, no, I I don't know how to work that. Um, only the supervisor uses that. I was like, oh, oh, well, maybe we should just give it a try. <laughs> I'm like, I feel better yeah. if I just went through it. Like, I'd like to kind of turn the buttons and touch it and see how the pads attach and stuff like that. She said, I'm telling you, it's the supervisor's position, so um, she's the only one who handles that. I said, well, I use my standard line. Well, what if she's in the gym, you know, or or she's out to lunch? What should we, what shall we do? She's like. She just kept looking at me and I was like, okay, <laughs> let's just move along here. I'll figure that part out. Thanks. I was like, yeah. wow. But you know, Mackenzie, everything you've brought up so far uh, is why is why I do what I do. And it's why we're here having this conversation because it's really unbelievable that we live as if our job wasn't tough enough. That sick gut feeling of that fear of, you know, oh my God, please don't happen to me. Like, talk, talk about ruining your shift, right? So so we'll kind of move into the next section, which is I, I part of the Code prep program, which, by the way, are unit-based resuscitation drills. That's the core of the whole thing. They're two- to six-minute drills, hands-on repetitive practice in your unit with your team and your equipment, like, all the time. It takes two to six minutes. So it's like a no-bitch zone, and you feel so much better. But let's talk about the best cardiac arrest, you know, the one we prevent, So why are we having these cardiac arrests? How, how and why is it that we're missing the signs and symptoms of deterioration? And, and what in your experience, is there any tool that you've been provided? Is there an early warning system in the computer? Or do you, do you trust your gut instinct? Like if we miss those, I mean, physiologically 24 hours before they show signs and symptoms, eight hours. Absolutely. There's symptoms that can be seen. Uh, The American Heart captures the three hours prior to event in their get with the guidelines. So Patients show these signs and symptoms and we're missing them. In In my particular program, I created what I call an early warning system. It's a visual acuity scale. We triage green, yellow, red, sick or not sick. It's a conversation across the room, uh, seconds or less conversation amongst everybody, not just nurses, so that we're all talking a color coded green, fine for now, yellow, you know, that's that. My instinct kicking in. Let's, let's, you know what? My instinct's kicking in. Red's the oh shit. Like I gotta know shit and this one's down the, and I and this is something we all need to talk about. So in your experience, what do you think about any tools you've been provided or in general? Why are why are we missing it?
2: I think on one of the systems, I worked with a few different systems. There was like a modified early warning signs, and I don't think anyone really necessarily pays attention to those at all. I don't I know that I think I think it's just one of those things you're clicking out of so you can get into the chart and do what you need to do and i would say i mean i think there's a lot of factors that go into like cuz i cuz i know for me like i tend to like go with my gut on things and i i i don't know with all other nurses but yeah there is that feeling though when the patient does go downhill out of nowhere you're like i i i always blame myself like what what did i miss what did i miss and i think sometimes things just happen but i think lately like especially the last hospital and like where you're so busy, especially these med surge nurses, it's like, you're just really trying to get by, like, you're just really trying to pass all your meds on time. So I think they're missed and I I hate to just always blame it on ratios and all of that. And it's not that, but I think like, I think the mentality just working different floors is like a med surge, you have a lot of tasks and you're just trying to like, get through what you need to get done. So I think, I think being like present in there and like, you know, feeling if something is off, I just don't know that nurses really have the time to like, until it's already progressed, and they're already septic, or they're already this or that, you know, like, I found it a lot easier, like working, like step down, I could catch it really quick, you know, because like, you're in that mentality of like critical thinking, where, uh, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I lost that a little bit in med surge, because you're tasking so much, and you're not really, able to like think critically I think I had those skills coming in traveling so they they do I notice they like come back for me quickly but if you've never really taken care of really sick patients maybe you don't really know the warning signs you know maybe you do maybe you've taken but I think to see them in real life is different than like uh, learning about them in a slideshow that you're or, or some sort of like you know module that you do you know what I mean like yeah, it,
1: that actually it, brings me to the question I wanted to ask was so perfect segue because uh, Susan asked you, what are the early warning systems? Is there anything that supports you in that hospital? And if not, or even in if so, what are the um, obstacles like the sacred cows, the culture, the like what have you seen a lot of things in hospitals that even if a nurse did have an intuitive hit, that something's going wrong here and maybe that intuitive hit isn't practiced right like you know when something's going wrong but Mm -hmm. "Mm, maybe i'm wrong and the reason they don't say something is because of the culture like have you seen a lot of that kind of culture where even if they did have a warning system or they were able to use their intuition they wouldn't
2: Yes. I, I haven't seen that as much traveling, but when I worked on the step-down unit, we would have like rapid responses all the time. Patients were always circling the drain. So we'd have ICU people come up, but there were some nurses on there where it's like, we'd be almost begging for them to come up because we've, we've like done all of the resources we can to try to get this patient feeling better. And, um, and I can remember them coming up sometimes and like, you know, you're the head nurse who, you know, you called your rapid, so you have to speak and everything. And like, I can remember some, it never really happened to me personally, but I remember some of those ICU nurses coming up and like making us feel like stupid because we called this rapid, you know, even though, you yeah. know, later down the, it's funny because you come back the next day, the patient's in the ICU. You're like, okay, well, you know, we saw uh-huh. something that was going on and you didn't want to listen to us. You you came up and said, no big deal. went back and then we have to deal with this sick patient all night when we really don't have the I mean we do have the resources up there but you know like we don't really have you know we're not ICU nurses so we're not we we only have a certain skill set you know that like is it's different so uh, I can remember that and especially as like a brand new nurse I was just like wow this is crazy I, I remember feeling like this is so crazy like feeling like I had to like beg for someone to come up and assess this patient because we think something is going on you know like terrible. yeah yeah this but that, is- That was years ago. And that was, and I don't know what it is. If it's, I don't know, you could say a lot of things, you know, you don't really know what they're feeling in the moment. But I think to make someone feel dumb for like, maybe thinking something is brewing is just crazy to me. Like, I just couldn't. And then you go home feeling so defeated, you know, you're already a new nurse, you already feel stupid at times because you just don't know, you know, you're seeing everything for the first time in real life. You learn about things in a textbook and now you're seeing them, you know, come to fruition in real life in these patients. And so I don't know. And then, you, you know, and then you have like your charge nurse reassuring you like, no, it's okay. Like, you know, call that, you know, like it's better safe than sorry, but you're not really getting that support from the critical care team that you need to like get things going, you know, and then the patient, and that's not, I mean, we're all here to take care of the patients and get the best care, you know? So it's like,
1: Susan,
3: the, I'm, you know. I'm going crazy. I, yeah, I, yeah, I know. I, mean, I, I could
1: I could feel the constant conversational constipation coming. I'm on just going,
3: You're just so eloquently speaking in this everything and why that we're here and, and, and all the reasons why this thing was created. But I want to go back just a little bit, you know, the disservice that we've done. How about when you become a brand new nurse and you, everyone needs to do their time on med surge. I mean, I say it should be the other way around. You you yourself described that you had some time in the step down and you worked in a more critical care area where you, where you learned critical thinking versus yeah. we want people to start in a medical surgical environment where they learn tasking. In my opinion, what a disservice because your brain is now a tasking brain and we're trying to beat into them that you need to be critical thinkers. Yet mm-hmm. we're using the word acuity in med surge while you're tasking your 85 patients you I, I that one travel assignment I I couldn't even get to lunchtime the polypharmacy I mean like 85 yeah. pages of medications then you got to give insulin and it's lunchtime before you know it it's time for dinner and insulin you didn't even get the last set of you can't even go back to the first one to do your bandages and stuff I was like you guys are whack I could never do this if they're not dying I'm <laughs> out <laughs> but but yeah. my point being is I didn't know until I had created this thing that because I only had done critical care how differently the mindset of the the hamburger of the hospital and it's because they've been tasking for so long so much so that when you get your patient assignments it's you get an acuity level of your patients many hospitals that i work with are using acuity even a red green yellow such as i i use for my visual acuity scale to talk about level of tasking so they won't don't want to give you you know two reds or three reds because of the number yeah. of tasks and the amount of time you're going to be in that room or else my same patient, if I were to give that patient a red, it means they're about to die, right? So the whole thought process is completely different. So when the when these, you know, all that and 10 bags of chips, critical care nurses show up to you and treat you that way, I don't know if they, if they have never worked in an inpatient environment, they really feel like, God, how can you not know how to do this? And I'm not yes. standing up for them and their behavior, believe me, because I've been in the room when they've treated people in rapid response in met calls, just like junk. And I think of like you know well, I'm going to call your mother. You know, that's like really bad behavior. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad to make people feel that way. this person has reached out, they're a nurse. They've reached out because they got the gut instinct and then they, they, they get that treatment when they get there. So that's that's just horrible too. But what do you think about that? I mean, I think, what do you guys think about that? Andre and Karen, I love your thoughts. I'm thinking maybe nurses should start with higher acuity and they don't have to stay there, but they should at least do a rotation through it. So, I mean, if it's not, if you had Mackenzie, since you did, but if your colleague's, if you've never gotten that critical thinking bump of being around it I and you can go backward but going from the the one to the other is not gonna work
2: no and I had a nurse tell me and I followed her advice like she said like the best thing you can do, she was an ER nurse and she's like because I was contemplating where I wanted to start and she's like, She's like, you should start in a really difficult step-down unit. Like, it's going to be probably really stressful for you. And it was. It was like, I felt like my work was like my whole life at that time. But I was like learning so much and just becoming, I was gaining so much confidence. Because, I mean, I started traveling at two and a half years of experience. And I was, and I felt fine. You know, I had seen so much and I had taken care of really sick patients. So when I switched back down to like a telemetry floor, I'm like, okay, I got this. You know, like I can... And it seemed like it wasn't as stressful. And and so I would, rec- I, I tell like any little, any, any nurses that I like, you know, uh, the new grads, I always tell them like start, you know, they're obviously on like, yeah, the telemetry floor, but I always tell them like, go go try to get some critical care now while you're like so fresh, you know, like yeah. get right out of school. Yeah.
1: Antra, what do you think about like what you're telling them Mackenzie, what you're saying, so Susan, and what you're what you're telling when uh new Gret nurses ask is a complete opposite of what and, and it's what I told myself. Like I didn't want to do anything else because I knew I'd kill somebody on a med search floor. <laughs> but, you know, but Andre what were you gonna like? What was it like well, for you?
0: Well, I was just gonna say, like, you know, in 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 the operating room, so at this community hospital, not a trauma center, but part of a health system here in Oregon, we would get they were travelers, but they were locum. So they were just, they would flip from hospital to hospital. The ones that, and all of them actually were, you know, they were, they were going from hospital to hospital. So they were doing, you know, OR nursing in big trauma centers. So they were so so good at what they did in the operating room, because they had that experience, right? And that was just for the ones that were quote, travelers, local travelers, Um, you know, if they had started in a community hospital, like I did, and didn't have any, and didn't have any of that critical care trauma, or stuff, then they would come, you know, and be relatively comfortable at, at a community hospital, but have no idea what to do in a code. So it was always those nurses that were like, you know, constantly being filtered through the trauma system that were just like Amber, who we interviewed on our podcast. Oh my God, that girl, she could do anything in the operating room because she just was getting that experience. So I think, yes. That is, it's we do it. I mean, I think that's such an interesting conversation. We do it all backwards.
1: Yeah, and good luck to any new grad, you know, who wants to. Well, exactly. now I'm sure because the shortage is so bad, they'll do it. Like that's how I got my first ICU job. But I mean, you know, they won't hire you. you have to have a couple years experience. I said, yeah, yeah they no won't. So. Yeah, yeah. That was me too. Oh, you're
0: going in, but the it next should
1: be month. mandatory. Susan, I love what you said. Like, why not? Or or why not nurses who work on med surge floors? There's a mandatory week or float day once a month that they have to go up to the ICU and that's when they do their code prep.
3: Yep.
0: I mean, go to critical care immediately and stay there
3: in my opinion
0: for a solid year. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I
3: think Mm -hmm. exactly the opposite. I mean, I'm sorry, but we can all figure out a peg tube feeding. I mean, or I mean, I, I, I don't mean it that way, but tasks. I mean, me, I should say that. I think I pulled that one out because I, I don't like to do that at all. I was like, I don't know. I'm an emergency nurse. This person's not dying. They're not getting fed. <laughs> like, suck it out. Oh, God. I don't think so. But anyway, you know, I, I, but I think about it. I, I, I'm really liking this new concept, but you're right. I'm thinking like, like a preceptorship or something, or, or in a nurse intern program, they should be a rotation at least through some, some various areas. Because I also don't think we do, I think we do nurses a disservice by, making them stick to their guns on where they first pick. Anyway, I mean, I know there's a lot of rotation through nursing and you get to move around, but anyway, anyway, I I digress. The point being is when you work in critical care, when you think sick or not sick, you're thinking, what's the number one thing that this person is going to tank on me? Because like, what is it? Is it, is it their respiratory? Is it their, like, what am I watching as as a critical care nurse? The first thing I want to know about a patient is if this patient's going to die on me or tank, what is it that I'm going to be watching for? And then I play that game with myself. And when I have students, so like, like I'll go to my, if, if I'm in the ER, let's just say this one's going to be respiratory. Okay. So we might have a respiratory arrest. So we're watching respiratory in this one. In the next room we have, uh, you know, possible flash pulmonary edema, like, you know, like this one, it's going to be, oh, that blood pressure is like 8 jillion over 10 jillion. Okay. So, and then I would ask my students to go back and recall for me in each room. What was the one thing in each room that this one's going to die from? And it's just a way of thinking. That's where I start every patient encounter. <laughs> it's just how I think. So when I started going into med-surg and doing my evaluation on how to create these mock code programs, it's not a mock code program because I discovered that just like you don't want to be bombed by the critical care team when they show up and be smarty pants, that same feeling like you described in the in the ACLS class. Nobody wants to feel stupid. And, and so if you do a mock code, I've discovered, you know, like the, all critical care want a surprise attack these mock codes. And it's the same thing as, as your turn in ACLs in front of a bunch of people you don't know. You have to all of a sudden perform. So what, even if you did know it, shoop, it's gone, you know, when you get put upon that way. So co-prep code code prep is practice and not perfection and lots of laughs. You know, we laugh, we, we, we do a quick drills, they put the pads on and I'm like, okay, Let's just talk about those pads. <laughs> we're gonna have to, they're going to have to come down just a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> and we laugh and then we do it again. And literally after about six minutes, you watch people who are like sweating. They go to laughing and then they go to standing tall. Cause they're like, are you kidding me? That's all, that's what you want us to do. And then we give them permission to do it. Right. I think that's another part of it. I just talked to somebody the other, just yesterday. They were saying, I asked the same question. So do you practice my codes? Well, they said, well, of course we practice my codes. Every two years when we go to our ACLS class, there's a mock code at the end of the class. I was like, yes, there is. <laughs> but that's not what I mean. I mean, with your equipment. So, so.
1: That doesn't involve right. wait for the doctor.
3: <laughs> or that.
0: Yeah. And if they can, that's great. because Wait, if they're there- stop. A- sorry.
1: Sorry. You all freeze and I'm the one recording. So. Can you say, and I'll edit that chunk out. Can you say again what you started to say? Susan left off with wait, wait I said, I said, and not wait for the doctor. And then it froze. Oh, so it,
0: I said, I said, not wait for the doctor or the rapid response team. Because if they uh, like if they could fly, that's great. Because maybe they can get there in under a minute. But we've heard already that lots of rapid response teams, if they're down on the first floor and you're working up on the fifteenth, they are not going to get there in under four minutes, which is when you have to be doing basic life support effectively. So that they can get there and then they can upscale to ACLS or whatever needs to be done. I That's just so compelling. Like it is on us as nurses, period. It doesn't matter if you're med surge or you're neuro or you're OR. It does not matter. Like if we just could get ACLS out of our heads for a while and just focus on the basics, we'd probably be doing so much better.
3: 100%. We cannot continue to focus on the advanced measures when we have not mastered the basics. And it's the basics. It's the basics that win or lose the game. All the research in the whole wide world says that by the time we get to that top drawer, meaning the drugs, like I always say the birds on the bottom of the cage, right? They're just throwing everything. That's throwing everything they can at it. But, but compressions, of electricity, all the research in the world, that's, that's the American Heart Association, ILCOR, European Resuscitation Union, all the best evidence on this planet says compressions and electricity is the best chance we have. And rapid response, the, the, the numbers that I have from a report's probably about 2019 now. So I'm gonna get a new one. I keep saying that, but I'm gonna do it before our next recording. But the average time for arrival for a code for rapid response is 4.3 to 4.5 minutes. But let you guys let's 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 talk about this. That's the first code blue. It always happens there's a second. <laughs> I mean, it just happens. So who goes to the second one? Team B, right? Well, who's scrambling to be team B? Once again, who's there? I've trained teams who have been by themselves for nine minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah. I yeah, it's
1: Just staring at the dead body. That's scary. Yeah. Scrambling
3: <laughs> and scrambling and praying, you know, that, that help arise primarily, but it's, it's again, here, here's the whole thing with co-prep recognize the problem. Well, it begins with the visual acuity. Let's talk about it. Like you said, Mackenzie. Yeah. There might be tools, early morning systems. It's built into your charting. It's only as good as the timeliness. You were able to get that charting in one and two, like you said, you also like close out of that screen. I've got, you know, things to do. (laughs) And it's, 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 it's not necessarily handy. Plus what I hate, and I hear this in my co-prep classes all the time is it's a nursing charting tool. So many people to your point earlier, Mackenzie, between going into each one of those rooms, by the time you get a chance to go back in there, there's a lot of ancillary staff and team members that go in there they should be colored this cup color, they should be triaging too. You need more than one set of eyes. A sick patient that's yellow or red should not just be owned by the nurse. She's got enough on her yeah. back. She wants to go home knowing she did the best she can. So we have PT, OT, uh, nutritional services. Because I have a I have a whole non-clinical visual acuity 10-minute module too. It says, you know what your family member is sick right now, right? You know what if your patient's sweating, we should all be sweating. So yeah. visual acuity, something we need to talk about. And we need to talk about all day long. We know how quickly it's your patient that's respiratory, not so swell. They need to go down to CT. They go down to CT. You send them a green, they lay them flat in the hallway or not so good, not, not, not optimal. Then they lay them flat in the CT. They hang out there a little, Oh, they get a trauma. This one gets bumped to the hallway, gets back up. And then it comes up to your floor and there's like, you know, foam coming out. Not so swell. Right. Cause the CT just <laughs> brought them back and didn't tell anybody. Well, if you're not in there, who sees? So there's a million reasons why a patient can go from a green to a yellow or red in just a minute. But my firm standing is we all need to be watching, not not just the nurse. So yeah.
2: And unfortunately, yeah, it's always on the nurse. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Me and my friends talk about it all the time. Like, and me, I think nurses are just perfectionist too. At least I kind of am when I'm at my job, you know, like they're just, you always blame yourself because it always comes back to the nurse. And I don't even know how that can even change, but like, you know, because you'll be in a rapid response or something. And I was in one a, like a year ago, where uh, my guy, we finally figured out what was happening with him, but he he was turning like blue everywhere, and and he was and he was not breathing. Well, he ended up having like a really high temperature, really bad UTI. But by the, but like the doctor comes in, and I have five patients, and I'm and he's getting up and down from the bed, and the CNA's helping me out, and. I remember he just came in and was like, so how long was he in the bed? And then from when he got to the chair, what time was it at? And I'm like, you're asking me a time. I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like, so these are, you know, so there's like really no, like the communication always falls back on the nurse, which makes it really hard. And it can be really defeating. Like for, you know, even like I've been a nurse eight years and there's shifts. I go home and I'm like, I just felt like a crappy nurse that day because I just am spread so thin. And I don't I mean, that's like a bigger conversation. Like, how does how do you fix that? But
1: um, this is why I can't wait till Maggie Ortiz comes on an episode and you, Mackenzie, have to watch this one <laughs> and you have to have all your friends watch it because that woman knows state board nursing policy like like she wrote it. I mean, like it just pours out of her and she would hear what you're saying. She would hear a lot of this thing and go, yeah. Um, that's when you go to your administration and say, it says in the policy here that your hospital abides by that I'm not supposed to have this many patients and I'm here for you. Like, because I, you know, either, you know, I'm going to chart that I notified you that I'm not supposed to have this many patients or that, you know, all these things that I'm, you know, whether it, whether it's an overstaffing issue or it says here that I'm supposed to be having this many mock codes per month. And it is my uh, part of my knowledge and skills that are required to function safely on this unit that i'm supposed to be prepared like this you haven't done it so um, what are we doing here you know like and to empower new nurses new grads your generation they have to know and to me like we've talked about this on a couple of these we must have the knowledge and skill required in- any state board policy any hospital policy you are required to have the knowledge and skills to safely practice and deliver the standard of care on that unit and if it is not provided to you it is your responsibility to go and get it and i would love to see nurses start saying we need susan davis in here we need you know rescue rn we need code prep in here here's the thing and if they don't give it to you then rise up i mean like
3: yeah, yeah. or go
1: get it yourselves as a group you know yeah
3: yeah and, it's and it's here into your yeah and and
0: the system is keeping us keeping us in our lanes you know we all have yeah. a little bit of learned helplessness going on at, historically as nurses and i mean you know not just you mackenzie and, and the younger and the younger nurses but all of us like no more it's time it's time to rise up and say i am not doing this And, you know, and if you're going to work there, then we're going to, you know, we're going to, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get my education some way because it is just, uh,
3: this (laughs) is it. No, it isn't even, this is the conversation. I am the permission. This is what I've been saying. I am the permission. I am done. Now is the time. I have been doing this for about 10 years in my local area and I have kitty catted and skirted around leadership and Hey, do you want me to, and you want me to, and it's always back burner, back burner, back burner. And they ask me like, well, it is the number one request, most requested educational intervention by nurses in the world. We want mock code training. We, uh, if, Yeah, everything else you mentioned is crap too. But the one thing that will really send me going home and make me think I might not come back is don't provide me the training I need to be efficient and, and, and confident in, in those first two to six minutes at least. And trust me to do it and respect me for doing it. Empower me, trust me and respect me. Because if a ten-year-old kid or an eighty-year-old grandma could grab an AED in a mall, you damn sure, Mackenzie, should be able to run it in your hospital. You are a skilled practitioner, as is everyone else that you work with. So the time is now for me. This is why I'm on here with you guys. This is why I'm opening up to the world. I am done waiting for my B2B business. You know, waiting for the corporations who I've been speaking to and you know, sending flowers, if you will, for for years now, while they say, "Oh yeah, this is great. Why don't you go ahead and just you know do it here and do it there? And do it." That's not how it needs to be done. Everyone needs to be doing it. Every nurse needs to have access to this. And to Karen's point, I finally just said, you know what? I will make, I'm bringing it to them. That's what I'm doing. And that's how we met. And that's why we're here. So if hospitals get it, so be it. Somebody asked me um over New Year's Eve, well, how are you going to get hospitals to do it if they just don't have to? Because it's it's the minimum standard. I said, well, you know, ultimately they'll be shamed into it because it's shameful.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> also shameful. you can yeah. go a legal route. If nurses start saying like, what Maggie's going to talk about so, you're saying you want me to break the law. Is that my understanding of what you're? Because let's document that. I'm telling you I'm not willing to break the law. And you're telling me that I must. Is that correct? I'm here for you. <laughs> you know, I love how she does it. Here for you. And not quitting your job, not walking away in disgust and complaining about it, but actually holding the hospital administration's feet to the fire and saying, Are you asking me to break the law? And let them answer. And if they, what are they going to say? Yes. Okay. Well, then let's both document that here. So when somebody gets injured and this goes to court, it's not on me. Hmm. And you can yeah, see good. that I have asked for this to be remedied. And I'm here because I want to do my best job as a nurse. And you are choking me off from not only are you choking me off from being able to deliver the standard of care, but you're asking me to break the law.
0: It's a fascinating, like, way to look at things. What do you think about that, Mackenzie? Like, when I heard that, when we started, Karen and I started talking about, we're done asking permission. The CE stuff is stupid. We're not doing it anymore. And we don't <laughs> want other nurses to do it. We're done. We're just not asking permission. We're doing it. But I was really like, like, I could feel truth in that because of that learned helplessness and how we're kind of all stuck in the same nursing groove and you know you don't want to feel stupid and you don't want to communicate right because of the culture what how do you see that is that what does that feel like for you
2: i mean i don't know i i feel like wait say the question say the question again like
0: what like that i mean like perspective of it's it's on me to to go to to manage yes. and say do you want me to break the law because it says right here
2: I know yeah. yeah I don't I mean, know well this is you don't have to hold back this is the whole reason yeah yeah. Say, say, yeah yeah say yeah I mean I d- well no no yeah I mean I don't know that it's sad like because nursing has changed a lot since covid in my opinion like it just has and I think so many nurses are like Yes, like you guys are saying at their wits end, but I just don't, I think, I, I think it's really sad. I think that a lot of nurses have given up and they're moving away from the bedside even. I think they're just done feeling, I mean, for instance, like COVID started, we were these amazing heroes. We get food sent to us, lasted about two weeks, and then the whole vaccines roll out. And then, you know, we're, and then nurses, you know, you have this mass exodus from the bedside because- covid really messed with a lot of people of course so now we're here with this like nursing shortage and you know it's just like i think a lot of nurses have just like given up on the system in general and it's like how do you fix it Um, i think nurses are just done working at the bedside they're overworked they're underpaid you know being a traveler you know I I was lucky to get paid a lot but I I really felt for those nurses that like have worked at these hospitals you know we are doing the same exact job and I'm getting paid I mean crazy amounts you know like it pissed a lot of people off and it really made them I think look at their hospital and how like you know how could you do this to us you know like how can you not you know they're like begging for raises they're begging for better ratios and like you know covid's you know, whatever, three years, you know, but nothing has changed. And we really, I think, I think we're going to look back. I mean, I talked about it with my friends. I think we're going to look back in history, like years from now and think like how terrible nurses were treated during this time. Like, and we were, you know, like we just, I think we've just been, over, I've just seen so many nurses just leave, you know, and like that was their, they thought that nursing was their calling and that was what they, you know, they're meant to be healers. And like, it's just not, it's just not like I just don't. I think nurses are just done they, they all just think they're siloed. They just...
1: Mackenzie, everybody I've, nurses have never just gotten together and all gone in. But yeah. courage is contagious, and that's instead of because they all think we're, I'm leaving because I'm just alone here in the silo by myself and being treated like yeah. bad. You know. Yeah. But when have we collectively gotten together and said enough? Like what was it in New York where they all walked out?
2: Yeah. You know? And that happened in St. Louis, too, which I thought was, like, amazing with, like, when the whole vaccine thing was going on, too, and, like, you know, these nurses were, or it was, like, the masking, too, like, they weren't, it was a bunch of ER nurses, and, like, you know, it'll be, and even when I was working in Texas, they had, they were, like, you know, doing some protesting, too, and, you know, and it was amazing. Like even as a traveler, like I was talking to some of these nurses and they were so fired up and I was like, hell yeah. I was like, you know, I'll support you. I mean, I don't, I'm not a staff nurse, but I'm like, hell yeah, go to your administration. Like, and like, and so I think, I think there are nurses who are remaining at the bedside that are very fired up. And so I don't know, I'm hoping I'm hopeful, like that there's going to be some sort of change. Like, and I, and I think hospitals, yeah. And I think hospital administration, you know, like your CEOs who are making all this money, you know i think you know who have no idea what you know the nurses go through on a day to day basis you know like i think i did see like uh, that they were getting you know like nurses are now getting raises that they haven't gotten in years significant you know like it's it's time that like we're paid for what we i mean the trauma we go through i mean covid's one thing that was traumatic for you know everyone of course but like you just don't really talk about the things that nurses go through day to day. And like, you're just not, it's not about the money. It's just about being appreciated, you know? And like, I, I, I just felt for those nurses coming in who are like, you know, putting, who have kids at home and family, they're putting their lives at risk coming and taking care of this virus. And then you have these other nurses coming in, who, you know, have it put in their time at that hospital and they're getting paid all of this, you know, like it would feel like a big slap in the face, you know, like it hurt yeah. a lot of nurses, I think, you know, yeah. it was... And we're going to take and, it back, and, to, and take it back them, to Susan but...
1: because I think the point of this, though, all of that, like we could go on and do a whole series on that stuff. Know, and that's yeah. kind of what our gate <laughs> yeah. is all about. But to bring it back home, because we're running out of time, and I want to put a period on the end of the sentence. But to your point, Mackenzie, the basics are not given. And they're not going to be yes, because as exactly. long as we let yeah. them, we allow them to get away with it. And the basics include being adequately prepared to save your patient's life.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I, I uh, thank you, Karen. It's a great way to wrap it back around. I mean, the whole thing, the whole time you were just speaking those last couple of minutes, I kept thinking, like you said, it's a, probably a bigger conversation. But but honestly, so my my small contribution. Is this like there's so much going on in nursing and so many things that are just so much for all of us right now? But my contribution is I, I'm, I'm not taking it anymore. This topic, this topic <laughs> is not going away. I am 100% dedicated 100% of the time to providing this to nurses. And to Karen's point, again, because she's very good about that, is to get it to them where it's accessible to them, whether it's just you by yourself or you with a couple of your friends or a group of people who just say that's it. And usually you guys, it is a passionate group. It, it And usually it's a charge nurse or a supervisor or someone's like, you know, my teams want this and I want it for my team. And then, but then again, it's like, okay, so now they've submitted for pay from above. So the people who want it and need it in a hospital system aren't the ones who pay for it. So I've had, a, I've rechanged everything around so that it is doable for one person who wants to do it. And I'm actually even turning it into Maybe even, I'm not pushing and persuading to move from the bedside, but you could become a co-prep person too, you know, and, and, and do that and you go do it, you know, I'm going to help you. This could be a business for other nurses who feel passionate about this topic too. And, and an income it's a, it's so I'm developing that at the same time, just because this is new. Yeah. Did I I not say about that?
1: Yeah. That's brilliant.
3: Yeah. So like you'd become oh, a co-prep yeah. coach and I got, a have got a co-prep crash kit and, and then you would get like so many licenses that would come with the courses and then off you would go, go do your, go do like long-term care. I mean, there's a bazillion of them that need it, you know, like I can't focus on everything. So I, I need help. And it's I was like thinking you're sending
1: about- out little white blood cells to fight the disease of incompetence. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my models. I, and I also have, I have backup with um, fire departments and EMS all over the country as well to to act as coaches in my behalf as well. And to team with anybody who wants to do it in their area. So lots of cool things. Mackenzie, what a rock star! Thank you so much for joining us. What a great, Thank great you. discussion. Thank you for having me. Yeah. That yeah. Every, every Amazing. discussion
1: we've had has been so dynamic and so yeah. equally valuable from the different perspective from which it's come and yours traveling young, how you started out, what it's like. I mean, so many people resonate with that and go, oh, my God, I'm not alone.
0: I mean, I even was just thinking, like, after listening to you, Mackenzie, combined with the other people that we've already had on, and then we have a couple more, like – I want people to get this series because I just think it will resonate so much with nurses, just your perspective of traveling and, you know, what it's like not feeling prepared and not being able to communicate because, you know, there's, you know, like that, that example you gave of the doctor. Well, what time did he get up from the, like, you would know that with all those tasks. Like, I just think it, to me, it, it kind of feels like the, the seedling of Real change, especially where 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 cardiac arrest is concerned.
1: Amen, sister. And it, oh. you know, what all that stuff about what we put up with and what you feel so bad about, Mackenzie, and watching them all,
2: you know, yeah, I could go on a tangent. Sorry. Yes, but, yeah, I know. But we yeah. do one
1: thing together. <laughs> if we can all do one thing together, well, your your hospital, your unit picks one thing. What can you all get together on? You know, I had this. I had this fantasy while somebody was talking on this, like. What if units relieved each other, and then they all marched, you know, to the administration as one and said, "We're not going to take it." Oh, you ICU is going at three, you know. Like, I mean,
0: code prep. We want code prep. Yeah,
1: yeah, Code code prep or 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 enough staff or whatever. Pick your pick your fix. But anyway, thank you, thank you both, Susan, Mackenzie, Antra, and I are so happy and grateful to be. Mm -hmm. Having the opportunity to host this and put people like you on.
0: Nailed it.
3: Renegades.